This is the Grispace podcast. I just finished watching that interview with David Foster Wallace that I sent you and he in that interview was in 2003 yeah. and some of the question seemed to be what he was sort of prophesying prophesying back then mm -hmm. about fame and spectacle especially as it occurs in the in the US and the, he's talking about this before he doesn't even really mention the internet much at all in his interview so it's it was hard to say know, things in 2003 <clears throat> about the internet it had it was very much in its infancy i mean now it's in its infancy right. there was it, it was a fetal internet Right, it was a twinkle in our eye. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, YouTube wasn't even a thing until two thousand five. Oh, is that is that the date? Okay. Yep. Uh, so, I don't know, man. It, it seems like, to some degree, maybe something about the ease, the democratization of media. I mean, like you and I have microphones and cameras, and we're broadcasting essentially. We're essentially a little tv station or a little tv show yeah but we have i've got 10 year old equipment that i'm running on and stuff that it didn't there was not a huge barrier to get into it because the substrate of the internet you know google is doing the lifting all the heavy weight with all the algorithms and the right broad you know essentially the broadcasting so to what right. degree does that ease yeah, the infrastructure of is, being, is outsourced to the central brain yeah you don't have to be a local affiliate of any major right. you don't have to have a connection to cbs or anything like or abc or anything like that you can just buy a mic and go or have you know <laughs> use your phone that you paid paid maybe got subsidized and paid nothing for and start broadcasting well to... consider consider pewdiepie who still films on sub substandard equipment considering i mean the fact how huge he is he's got 102 million subscribers and he oh, regularly he, well. he regularly uses webcams and uh, uh doesn't really care that much about quality still yeah and uh, and his microphone is you know duct taped to his it's he's got a rubber band around it he's <laughs> keep, keeping it real he is uh, I, I like that i think that's good there's an authenticity there yeah and to what degree so if you think of was an intermediary step between broadcast television and sort of this massive access to broadcasting we have now something like jackass in the sense that mm. something like jackass was not a uh it wasn't a production in the sense that you didn't have to have people come in and build a set you just took a camera somewhere and started shooting stuff and right. so i mean that's what we're doing right now we, i mean I, I can see your your living room behind you and you can see my bed behind me and it's there's nothing uh it's just immediate and more relatable than if i'm watching something like friends it's a you know i know that friends is a myth in the sense that it's a production that that's a set even though it's made to look like i could live there or i'd want to live there well, in that speak, apartment speaking of myth though and i know that this is not really related to our conversation and it may get cut out or made a separate video who knows but speaking of myth, if the serious writing, uh, Breaking Bad writing staff, uh, you know, at a at a whiteboard, really thinking through all of this stuff, or Star Trek or whatever it is, uh, is the way that that modern myths are carried forward, right? Then is the democratization somehow fuzzing that out or or reducing it as a way to sort of, I mean. 
most YouTube channels don't have any sort of uh, <laughs> any sort of structure or any sort of um, there's nothing there's nothing in them as a often as a story that you get that maybe mm. would instill <clears throat> some sort of new idea or value that maybe stories of old might generally speaking you know what i mean yeah yeah do you do you think that so desperate housewives of was it desperate house i don't know what it's called or the orange county show you know jersey shore yeah is a version of that i guess but yeah so eliotti talks about the demythology demythologization yeah demythologization of myth and the historic historicizing of myth in the sense that oh well thinking about the story of jesus oh jesus was a real person there were real kings there were these actual events that were happening and so you and when you do that it just makes it mundane you take away sort of the uh evoking power of that story and the christian myth is based on christ being real though Right, right, and and then also the Christian myth is based on a ton of other myths that came before it, uh, Mithra and all these things. So it's it seems like still packed into that story specifically is a lot of non-history. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of myth and just a narrative that's existed forever, regardless right. of the time when it happened. So, um, <clears throat> and if you think about it, right. It seems that that in some ways that those myths were the science of the day, in the sense that, like you uh, you read in Masks of God, that when at, at a certain point in history, when the priests started looking, or when people started looking up into the heavens and noticed a mathematical regularity in the stars, and then they started to mimic what they saw in the stars on Earth with the uh, the. Uh, ritual regicide the killing of the king every four years because a certain constellation will pass through another constellation so and then they would build up this myth this fake story to justify or to convey this sort of mathematical thing they're seeing in the heavens because you can't do better at the time you, you don't know anything else yeah that's and, what it and looks if, like that's what it looks like yeah and if you look at if you look at what we have today we have cosmos we have carl sagan we have neil degrasse tyson we have all of these uh, the there's more we're more infatuated by what we would call the hard science of it. Empiricism. We don't ask, huh? Empiricism. Yeah. yeah, we don't ask Carl Sagan to give us a story about right. uh, iron balls that represent a fiery hell in a Sanskrit terminology that has that's encircled by a dragon with the mother figure on top of the the iron. It, you know, just crazy stuff. It's more like here's the math. So an so, absence of knowledge or an absence of empiricism, well, at the time, maybe empiricism 1.0, I see it, it looks like that, and because it looks like that, then, you know, it must mean something about the corn growing, or it must mean something yeah. about what we should do in our sort of social structure. That, because it's based on, it's it's not based on the full picture, allows for the proliferation of cultural ideas that then help to sort of shape future generations and give structure to things like marriage and norms and when we the more sort of like i wonder if there's a i wonder if there's a sort of scale where one goes up and the other goes down the more we know and the more we understand the less room there is for interpretation and therefore the less room we have for 
for myth and storytelling. This is, is it's a it's a neutrino. That's what it is. <laughs> There's no story about it. It's just a neutrino. <laughs> it doesn't have yeah. mass. So <laughs> that you know, once you know it, then you know it, and there isn't really. Then you have to sort of derive your own meaning, maybe. But maybe we're just in a transition period where that sort of all builds up into some new mythology. Yeah, and I think we talked about this a little bit in the True Detective discussion where the things we're talking about now is, well, of course gravity works this way, or of course the stars do this or that, and of course we don't believe in the Christ story and and its sort of magical mythic, or the story of Noah, of course. So we have a, a certainty that what we have right now is the pinnacle of consciousness and knowledge and knowledge of how to use consciousness but what about 100 years from now are what what things do we think now that people in 100 years are going to look back on as foolish but right now the things that we believe help us interact with reality as we know it right like like chemistry and that kind of stuff but what kind of thing is going to be discovered in the future that might put under the way we understand chemistry in a different light because it's happened before and it happens it seems to have happened all the time and all the time or just over and over again does that make sense yeah that that, that makes sense well i mean that that I, th- I think that it depends on how you bifurcate understanding what reality is is reality the the interpretation of the facts or is it just the facts and then i mean that's a whole yeah other discussion yeah and then you get into that I, the stuff that Campbell talks about where, or the stuff that, uh, who's the guy that wrote Brave New World? Aldous Huxley. Yeah. I, I actually, um, yeah, I just got that. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. So it, the, uh, he wrote a short book called the doors of perception. Got that too. Yeah. It's, it's cool. And, um, that's the, that's and, the and, book that started, um, uh, Terrence McKenna on his journey. Was it? Okay. Yep. Um, and I think the doors of perception is a, a line pulled from William Blake, which the line I think is, if the doors of perception were cleansed, then we would see everything is perfect. And in the sense that the doors of perception are the instruments that we use to perceive reality, like touch our mind, our eyes, our ears, and that kind of thing. Those are the, the doorways to right. the world outside of us. And how do, how do the ways that our eyes and ears function and that kind of thing uh, transparently reveal the world around us and how does it cloud the world around us? And how do you tell if it's moving in a bad direction or a good direction? I've I've been thinking about this kind of a lot recently because I, whenever someone says or, or criticizes the use of cell phones, whenever someone is too critical of it, I don't know why I should say, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, kids these days looking at their phones, <laughs> you know, I understand that where it's coming from, but it somehow it rubs me the wrong way. And I just, I, I always sort of wonder why it is. And I think about it a lot. And is it, you know, is it an okay boomer type thing or is it, is it a real concern? And I guess there is some science around 13 year old girls who check Instagram too often and develop eating disorders, but that existed when they were fashion <laughs> magazines. It's as old as time, or at least as old as America. Uh, <laughs> but, but on, you know, on the what other side... What was before that? <laughs> <laughs> the British Empire. Never heard of it. Yeah. 
um, but on the other hand, a phone is an additional sense organ. It's just an extension of the brain, and a smartwatch is an additional sense or organ. It's a, it's a. I've, so I, I actually this started when I started using an Apple Watch recently. I started using an Apple Watch, and I noticed that I I wasn't checking things, but I knew what things meant based on vibrations on my wrist. <laughs> so I have it hooked up so that uh, the uh, the student one of the student lobbies for the teaching company is uh, is connected to WeChat, right? And so when it buzzes once, I know that a class has come in. And if it buzzes again, I know that a teacher took it. And so I can sort of rest at ease. And so I don't have to always be checking my phone to make sure classes are being grabbed. It's just on my wrist. So in a sense, it is a sensation. And my watch is a way to bring the information from the internet into my brain. So mm, yeah. why, why should I complain that it's, the, you know, it's this watch. Why are you always checking your watch? Or why are you always checking your phone? Or is it a new way to retrieve information from the cloud? And the cloud is the collective unconscious or, or this sort of forming thing that is global consciousness. Yeah. And the device is just a way to to sort of tap into it as as our eyes tap into the physical world around us, right? As our as our fingers yeah. tap into the the physical world, and why is it why is it that different? And why would yeah. we be critical of something that connects us to this wonderful place that we didn't have thirty years ago, right? I mean, it, there's no going back. If you went back thirty years, we would I mean we would both be bored out of our minds. Uh, it's, it's 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 unimaginable. So whatever it is that the internet is becoming. And whatever it is that technology is developing, you know, could lead to this 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 new sixth sense that connects us directly to the internet, <clears> which which is, becomes totally natural. We don't even think about it in the future, you know. Yeah, and I mean, do you think that there's a level of that already existing? Because I yeah. know it. Like, I will plan my day or plan things that I do around being able to check the internet. Like, it's already its existence is already an integral part of the way that my mind works that I, if I'm going to go somewhere and I need to check a bus time, well, I've got the internet. I don't need to look at, <clears throat> I don't need to go get a paper. I don't need to walk down to the stop and read the time on it. Yeah. I don't, so it's, it's already the old ladies to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The boomers. <laughs> the, you mean baby boomers? But you, you know, the, the, the expression that's going around these days, it's <laughs> okay. Boomer is, I've seen that? that. I saw the word, but I haven't. I think <laughs> I saw. I think it's that. a great meme uh, because the baby boomers are. A lot of them are reacting to it like it's it's the new N word or something. Like it's disparaging of old people. But I think it's oh, great. It's sort okay. of it's a word. To, it's like uh, uh, okay, old person, you don't really understand that our generation. You know, we're not just whining that that we have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in university debt. We're not just whining that. Uh, it's harder to get into, you know, uh, certain jobs. Your time was actually different than our time, right? And so yeah, we're not okay. just complaining. It's a real issue. So when someone says, oh, you're just lazy, what do you mean you can't pay for college? We say, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's <laughs> like, great. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the millennials sort of Battle weapon crime? of choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's harmless, the, but, it's... but the, 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 the level of the reaction from, from boomers is, is hilarious. They're, they're up in arms about it. We're ungrateful. Is that, 
so would a double whammy be like, okay, boomer, learn to code? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly. Yeah, and and this, I mean, the idea we're talking about now brings back up or brings back sort of the, the her discussion in the sense that what anytime anything comes along, like I was reading in Guns, Germs, and Steel, you've got these inventions that'll come along, but and they'll be invented, but then it'll be an innovation in some way, but then it'll get used for a totally different purpose. I think uh, he was talking about the invention of the car was original. The beginning of it, the idea was to have the car be used for something else, but then once it hit the mass market, it got totally used for just something else what completely. Was it, what was it supposed to be used for originally? It seems like there's only one purpose. Yeah, I forgot. Um, and he uses, he Trans- gives several transporting examples. Transporting furs from Canada? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it, uh, or yeah, syrup, I don't know. It was... Um, that's, it was, a, it was, that's true of every uh, many innovations, though, where there's a right. very microscopic initial first. I mean, that that's true of early adopters. That's true of so many things. There's a very small use case, and then it explodes far beyond the original intention if it's a useful technology. And it always has – it always becomes useful for pornography in some way. Right. Maybe that's the litmus test. Litmus test. <laughs> yeah, right. You're talking uh, about – yeah. Yeah, speaking of car porn, that's that's what I was going to mention. As I was going to, I was going to see if we could come up, who could come up with the funniest uh, fetish <laughs> ideas. And I was going to say, as we're talking about about enemy, and he's got a foot thing. I was going to say, uh, I've got a fetish for uh, red station wagons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but now, yeah, <clears throat> I guess that's I'm hot. Not. Yeah. It, <laughs> uh-huh. I had a red station wagon when I was a kid, and it had two seats in the back that looked backward and that was always just the most unbelievable thing to sit in the back of the station wagon and look at the cars behind and you know make make them try to make them honk that's (laughs) the greatest thing you can do i get i got a friend from home and he had a station wagon like that too and and the seats that would look backwards kind of folded down and so you could fold them down and put stuff back there it's the red station wagon Uh, yeah yeah toyota mercedes take note Tesla, this is this guys will get put with you the on program. the program. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, do it for the kids. Listen to what, listen to what all the people that write nostalgia as nostalgia as people that are nostalgic for the past get older and have money. Then all the movies about their nostalgic things start coming out. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, X Men, all this stuff. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh God, um, but with the technology thing, <clears throat> I was curious. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not, I don't like to look at it as a wholly good or wholly bad thing. It's more like, it's just a thing. It's like a gun. I mean, a gun is not an evil or a good right. thing. It's just this, it's a, a conglomeration of mass that does a specific thing. A gun is and a you platform. Can use it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you can, uh, uh, you can go hunt food and feed your family with it, or you can, you know, harm people. You can yeah. shoot people with it. So it's kind of well. How is the internet the same way? How is it the kind of thing that can nourish you, like a, a gun used for hunting can, or destroy people? So yeah. Well, I think. I mean, I think that's why. Sort of looking at past things, we can we can probably look at past things like guns in modern terms if we consider all of those types of things as 
platforms, we can sort of apply analogously the development of our own platforms in shorter time spans because something like Facebook in the last 10 years has changed so much or something like uh, something like Google has changed so much, then we can sort of consider other things that are not, you know, digital in the same way and sort of watch their watch their evolution and, and watch their applications. I think I think eventually there might be a study of anthropology that looks at things in the past in sort of modern or through the lens of modern digital, you know, uh, what do I want to say? Creations. Okay. Yeah. Like guns as a platform. Yeah. Early adopters, <clears throat> um, mass, uh, uh, critical mass, um, uh, use cases. Uh, you could apply all of that stuff to the use, the firearm adoption and usage. So just to add a, a little bit of a, of a, of novelty, to the, to the discussion in guns, germs, and steel, he talks about a few instances where inventions came into society, but then were rejected like the canoe for some people groups that lived, I think around the water that the canoe came along, but they just, which would allow them to get out. Like, I don't know, travel, get out on the water and fish, but they rejected it. They didn't want it. They never used it again. I think, uh, the firearms, the bow, <laughs> those people are gone now by the way the um yeah. the Boom, bow and arrow boomers. is one <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. resistance is futile yeah so um but it, it's just that's an interesting it, we, we think of the inevitable inevitability of these essential technologies whatever it may have been the horse the chariot a bow and arrow just becoming ubiquitous and taking over wherever it lands and how could you be so dumb to reject it? But then in some cases, these smaller, more ins uh, insular societies really did reject something that could have been efficient. So I wonder if maybe there's anything we'll do that with in the future. That's interesting. I'm, I'm sure it happens in sort of uh, uh, plenty of cases. I mean, look at the Amish with electricity, you know, uh, but it is inevitable. It is inevitable. If you look at it on the most macroscopic scale, it is a giant iceberg that is just drilling through the landscape and it, it will eventually overtake and then something else will come in its place. And if a small group decides not to adopt it, maybe they do go extinct or, you know, it's not, it's not that they, their thing that is not the innovation that is opposed to the innovation that doesn't go viral. It's the, 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 the 90% or the 80% who adopts it quickly. And then because that's an innovation, it, it leads to something better. And, and then, <laughs> 20 years later it's seen as unfathomable that that didn't exist when electricity first started being introduced to homes there was a huge outcry among i think it was people in the united states who said well we've calculated it and it's, it could kill 5,000 people a year and that turned out to be exactly right it does kill 5,000 people a year and we just accept that as acceptable losses you know automobiles yeah. about how many people die from that that's acceptable quote unquote acceptable losses right yeah vaccines I and as it seems like as long as so when you have an innovation that could be harmful as long as that harm doesn't happen to you it only makes your life easier or more desirable then you're going to adopt it but then what happens when you know there's an innovation that for you and I it has this remarkable benefit or remarkable perceived benefit but then for the people that sort of have to produce that innovation, it's detrimental. It's like destroys their livelihood or their way of life. But 
I'm not conscious of that. And even if I kind of know about it, but I don't feel it, I don't feel what that person is going through, then I'm probably not going to reject that innovation. But as time marches forward and hopefully, well, I think hopefully people have more intimate awareness and knowledge of each other that the things that we adopt will be more broadly beneficial to everybody in a more conscious way rather than uh what's a good example <clears throat> um cheap clothes let's just say cheap clothing like um you love that example you always mention that yeah i mean i'm tr- trying not to i mean there's a lot of examples you pick the phone the computer any any electronic essentially but the effect that it has on the people that produce that thing who are so far removed from me and what are the negative effects for them? And if I were in their shoes, would I, would I damn the person who keeps buying this thing and making a demand for the factory to exist where then I have to work kind of thing or. So that's, but that's, yeah, go ahead. And I was just going to wrap it up by saying that, but what if, if I had, if the person that was making that stuff was my neighbor and I saw how, it affected them, then I might be less likely to contribute to the need for the thing they're producing to exist. And I might just do something different, maybe something better because it's better for me and I know it's better for them. So the fact that they're doing well makes me feel good too, because I don't see them in misery. I see them as like a healthy neighbor or whatever that I would want to hang out with. So more of a, more of a, rather than um, existing in a place of extremes it's more like no everything's kind of good um that that really that really jives with uh steven pinker's book the better angels of our nature really okay yeah so there is i mean if you look historically there is a very steady gradient of the uh opening up of the spheres of empathy i mean Mm. only a few hundred years ago uh people would have a conversation should we go see a show or should we go see the execution what do you want to do or oh look someone's on the rack cool you know someone being <laughs> someone being ripped apart by a or uh you know on on the braking wheel someone is their body is being ripped apart and it's sort of like uh let's let's go buy some cabbages across from the braking wheel you know what i mean it was like that only yeah. a few hundred years ago and sort of the it's not only about violence it's about our sensibility and our sensitivity mm. to things that maybe seem disturbing, like someone with their personal knife at the table, you know, cutting off pieces of it. There's a reason why that became obsolete. Obsolete. There's a reason why, you know, snorting and, and shooting your boogers at, at other people <laughs> became obsolete. But a few hundred years ago, it would have been like, yeah, yeah, boogers are everywhere, you know, and knives. And it was just a different, a different but at that time, that would have been sort of in the, mil, in the milieu at the time, totally natural. And so you're saying totally that downtown, you're saying um, that like downtown Seattle is still a uh, hundred years ago. There's a bubble. There's a sort of temporal bubble around downtown Seattle where people still have modern clothes, but they mentally, yeah, they exist. It's a, it's a temporal <laughs> snot bubble. Yeah, yeah, governed by the, uh, the 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 camel from Camel Cigarettes. He's the sort of the um, he's the pooba of that yeah. particular bubble. Is he um, the spider the, over the city? <laughs> yeah, he's got long camel legs. Is it camel spider? <laughs> sunglasses. Yeah, <laughs> 90 sunglasses. Um, 
No, what I was going to say is, so in a sense, the sphere of, as the sphere of empathy grows, our sensitivity to certain things changes. And you can, I mean, you can feel it in your life. Yeah. You've probably not been sensitive to things that maybe now you're sensitive to. And the steps forward can proliferate out at the rate of person-to-person uh, -person communication. But if person-to-person -person communication becomes something that's completely democratic and distributed like the Internet, then that becomes exponential. Mm -hmm. And so the internet is causing the sphere of empathy, the expansion of the sphere of empathy to explode far beyond what it what it did in the past few hundred years. And we're becoming like yeah. this single mm -hmm. organism. So if we think mm -hmm. of ourselves and ourselves being sort of tapped into the, the internet as this single organism, it's more like when one person gets really worked up about the pygmies in Africa and how they're treated or how they don't have water or whatever it is, and they get really worked up about that, if they have the tools and the means to make people more aware of that or get it on the internet or go on Joe Rogan and talk about it, I then saw it's that sort episode, of like yeah. being a body and having a pain in your in your kidney or something like, ah, you know what I mean? If you if you look at the whole thing as your body, then the pains that happen are where you send resources. And that's kind yeah. of part of the whole sort of expansion of that sphere. And I think that's kind of all tied into what we were talking about earlier about the technology now becoming more more like a, a, a portal to something that uh, sort of our, 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 our birthright, some sort of universal consciousness that exists in a more, a very much more physical way than maybe our the, the Jungian sort of collective unconscious. You know what I mean? It's right in front of you. It's on your screen. Yep. And saying, oh, you shouldn't check your phone is like saying, is kind of like saying, don't tap into this thing that that has been coming for the last 500 years. What's wrong with you? <laughs> okay, yeah. boomer. I think... Uh... You know what I mean? It, it's really, uh, I, I really think that, that in 20 years, it'll be absurd to say things like that. Yeah, I, and... Not that there aren't problems with it, right? Yeah, is I think to the ex to the extent that that it increases the bandwidth of empathy, in the sense that I can immediately know the, how my actions affect somebody else, and if I know that it hurts them, and I you know I have a functioning uh, empathy organ, then I'm like I don't I just don't want to do that because I don't I just don't enjoy it I don't like it right. But then and on the other side. <clears throat> if I could also know and see and be confident and that I will reap the results of doing an action that benefits somebody else and it benefits me, then I'm probably more likely to do those things anyway, because it's just, I like this better. It but seems why do like, you help old ladies across the street? Because her <clears throat> gratitude is not, is, you could get gratitude in lots of ways, you know, why is that? Why is that an act that does, that requires some sort of compensation for you to do that? You just do it. It's automatic. Yeah. Because it hurts think, you not to do that. <clears throat> right. Right. And it and and you would know that if I if I walk on and I don't do that, I'm gonna feel bad because I'm concerned about that lady. She can't, you know, she could really use a hand and I know that she'll feel better and I'll I, I will feel better if I <clears throat> if I help. Versus if I don't help. So, there, I mean, it's a selfish thing, but it's selfish in the best possible, most, it's, it's like magnanimous selfishness, maybe. But I think it's it's less of, I think putting it in the, in the sort of, from the perspective of, I'm going to do things so that I get rewards, is probably not quite accurate. I think it's more like, I'm going to do things to eliminate 
pain, sort of like I have a headache, take an aspirin. I see an old lady trying to get across the street, <clears throat> I help her so that I don't then experience that guilt later. It's a removal of, it's sort of a getting back to neutral rather than do something positive to gain sort of an adrenaline boost or a, a, a endorphin boost or something like that. I think it's probably more like a, a, a an aspirin than, uh, than a, 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 a bag of Flamin' Hot Cheetos or whatever she might give you <laughs> as a reward. Here you go, Sonny. <laughs> Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, um, Graham, Grandma. That's going to go great with my Code Red Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> no, everyone knows you like Baja Blast. Yeah, yeah. I can't, can't, can't fool you. Oh, that's um, yours. Mine is the Red Station Wagon, and yours is Baja Blast Mountain Dew. <laughs> Fair enough. And that From giant nearest Taco got. Bell. It's not giant. It's normal um, size. Actually, I can. Okay. Actually, yeah, I can. Uh, it's a. Uh, but so to that to that degree, um, when I was sort of a what I call a flaming evangelical Christian, yeah. I, there was this guy that I would read named John Piper, and he would talk about this idea of Christian hedonism, which is, and you can find verses where Jesus even talks about uh, like doing things expecting that your Father in heaven will reward you, kind of, and. It's like Pascal's well, wager sort of thing. Believe <laughs> just in case. Yeah. You never know. No. Might as well place your bets. Uh, Is it kind of like that? You know, I, what, I mean? Mean, you know what I mean by Pascal's wager? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, don't, you know, why Why take a what risk? you got to lose? Yeah. If it's all blackness yeah. afterward, then your chips are gone anyway. Yeah, but it seems more like the idea that, no, there is reward and a satisfaction of some desire in doing help things like helping the old lady across the street even if that even if that thing is to bring is to mitigate guilt well that's the thing that i gain that's my reward is the mitigation of guilt it doesn't necessarily it's not a so <clears throat> if i'm faced with that decision i could either i can do it and get a reward or i could not do it and feel guilty right but so if i do it i mitigate the guilt so it's in in a sense, feeling it's like feeling okay and feeling normal is the, is the reward because right, yeah that's kind of what I'm not, that's kind of what I'm saying just getting up to baseline <laughs> yeah and maybe yeah. and maybe uh, I mean it's it's the idea of do unto others as you would have them do unto you in the sense that right. uh, that knowing if I were them I would want to be treated in this way is sort of it's rewarding i mean imagine imagine what it would be like to have no guilt and for there to be no um sort of like we're, we're so aware of desperation and um depression in different people that we know and different situations all around us what if that just wasn't there and, mm -hmm. and how much of a reward would that be that you could almost you could go anywhere and essentially refer to anybody as brother or sister, mother, father, aunt, or uncle. Because, I mean, essentially, we are just a huge extended family, right? I think that's why it makes sense that there are cultures that, that use that terminology. I mean, people use brother in, 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 in India for strangers on the street. They'll call you brother. Hey, brother. Uh, yeah. And when maybe they call me brother, it makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm just not used to that level of familiarity. But that's totally natural. Yeah, in Indian culture, right? Uh, people and, call it a friend. Have you ever had someone on the street trying to sell you something? Probably not local uh, from another country. Say, hey, friend, friend, you want to you want to buy a watch or something like that? You know, they call you friend 
because that's what they probably that's what they use in their language. Yeah, they use friend. Where we would just say, uh, what would we say? What do, what do people say? What do, what, do, what do we say? What do Americans say to each other? Sir? Sir. We say sir. It's so formal. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me, sir. Yes. Excuse me, ma'am. Like... We have a, a, there's a level of distance in those words. Yeah. 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 Um, um, the, and, and if you, maybe, maybe that one way to look at the internet is to frame it in the idea of, you know, when we as human beings began this journey, we were kind of a small band of organisms living together right but then as we evolved we spread out around the globe <clears throat> and uh we lost touch and Stop we, right we we lost touch exactly and That's an interesting maybe image yeah and, and like you said the, about the internet being the thing almost maybe we've been aching yeah, to create right to yeah. right to reconnect us to uh to reconnect us to very Everybody. interesting. 